You're listening to the Inbound Logistics Podcast with today's guest, Pete Mento, Vice President, Global Trade and Managed Services for Crane Worldwide. The business of brokerage and freight forwarding is often an exercise in managing chaos. Chaos that can come from man, machine, or mother nature. But to successfully manage that chaos requires attention to the details your customers expect and adaptability to situations that no one expected. Pete Mento of Crane Worldwide offers some advice on how businesses should prepare themselves for the challenges still to come. Joining me today is Pete Mento, Vice President, Global Trade and Managed Services for Crane Worldwide. Pete, thanks for taking some time out of your day to sit and chat with the Inbound Logistics audience. That is absolutely my pleasure. Thank you for having me. So, Pete, we're going to talk about customs brokerage and freight forwarding today, a heady topic, I'm sure. But before we get into that, what is your background in the industry? How did you get started? And uh, what are you doing now with Crane Worldwide? I probably have the strangest background in the history of international logistics. I I started my career um, as a merchant marine officer. I attended Maine Maritime Academy in beautiful Castine, Maine. They would be very angry if I didn't do a shout out to Maine <laughs> Maritime Academy. I stopped doing that for a period of time to pursue a, uh, a career as a stand-up comedian. So wow. for a period of about um, three years, I really put my heart and soul into it and tried to become a comic. Didn't work out. Although I'm a funny guy, I don't think I'm funny <laughs> enough to try to pursue it full time. So um, I, I, I did pursue it. I, I put the, a, a real a, my real heart and soul into it. But I ended up applying to and being accepted to a number of law schools and graduate schools, and ended up going to Harvard University for my master's degree in trade theory and trade policy, and decided to become an economist. But like most people, I had to get a day job. And I, I ended up um, getting a night job instead. I ended up cutting airway bills and working for Panalpina up in Boston while I went to Harvard. So I ended up, like most people, sort of falling into the job, into the world of freight forwarding and, and customs brokerage. And like a lot of people in graduate school, I did whatever I could to get to get paid. So cut entries at night, went on sales calls, managed uh, accounts worked for a number of different freight forwarders. And as I ended up finishing my time working um, working and going to school, I found myself working for one of the large accounting firms and uh, learned that I kind of had a knack for duty minimization and avoidance. And that I also really, really enjoyed working as an advocate for clients when it came to customs. became a customs house broker and uh, found myself uh, with an incredible job working with a great, great group of people over at Expeditors managing trade win and uh, was very fortunate to work with a bunch of amazing people, including a guy named Ed Kloss, who had at one point been the uh, assistant commissioner at customs and, and got to work at, at a time where we really built an amazing consultancy over there, left to um, manage customs worldwide for, for C.H. Robinson, and then um, ended up taking a job as a partner with one of the major tax firms. After a couple of years of that, I kind of looked myself in the mirror and said, my people are free people. I don't know why I'm I'm still working in tax as, as much as I did enjoy the work there. I just really miss working in the logistics world. And myself and a number of my compatriots uh, found ourselves looking down the mirror of an opportunity we just couldn't say no to. And, and I started talking to John McGee and uh, the folks at Crane really had the same attitude and the same opinions that I did about where we saw the freight forwarding world going 
And um, unlike a lot of the folks I was talking to, they were willing to put their money where their mouth was to pursue innovation in a way that a lot of people just weren't. So we, uh, you know, packed up our tariffs and our, our customs regulations and grabbed our lunchbox and decided to give it a whirl. So uh, about five months ago, I found myself here at Crane, and it has been an absolutely amazing and incredibly fulfilling journey up until this point. I'm having a great time. That's awesome. From comedy to customs, what are the big differences that you see in how uh, forwarders and brokers operate today versus, say, when you first got into the business? Well, you know, back then, dinosaurs ruled the earth, and um, <laughs> the world was in black and white. I, the major differences, of course, is the digitization of the world. And the, it was a great skill to be able to line up the dot matrix printer exactly right in the office. <laughs> so that when, when things were printed, that it went right into the box exactly where it was supposed to go. And the, um, the biggest idiot in every bo- uh, office was the one who stepped on the telex machine. Like, I'm, I'm serious. Like, these were, these were serious problems. It was, um, it was it was a person's job in the first office I worked in to go around on Friday nights and empty ashtrays. People, ah. people smoked they smoked in the office. It was right, right. you know we we didn't um, we didn't really know what was coming in on a Friday night to make the truck to go down to New York and to Miami for consolidations. It was it was very much a a world of of chaos and tremendous complexity that was managed by paper and it was managed by memory. Now technology has become such an important part of it. The access to information that we have through any number of systems, the transparency that we have, our clients know as much as we do about our business. A lot of our clients come from our business. It's, it's extremely uh, rare that I don't sit down across the table from someone who has not spent a significant amount of time either working for a company like the one I work for or um, – did not at some point or another manage or sell for a company or to a company like mine. So that's a big, a big thing I notice all the time. I was just in Colorado last week and uh, I probably had four speaking engagements while I was there. And in every instance, not only was the crowd made up of importers and exporters, but it was made up of carriers. It was made up of customs officials, government officials, and we were all speaking a common language. There's, there's really nothing about what we do that is a secret anymore. There's just so much transparency and understanding about the world that we live in. I think it's a great thing, um, but it also makes it hard to make a living if everyone if everyone has has uh, the ability to see past our secrets. Right, right. That must make that uh, relationship between the broker and customs really kind of sensitive, I guess. Or has that relationship changed? It's changed tremendously. You know, not to bring up, I guess it's sort of a of a of a sad subject, but 9/11 changed everything. It really, it really, really did. And in 1993, when I was you know, working in, in that world, when when we when I first transitioned into this world of freight forwarding, and I I got to truly understand what it meant to be a broker, what the world meant to customs brokerage, it was a totally different world. The guys in brokerage were kind of in this corner of the building. The men and it was mostly women, by the by the way, back then. You know, the people that worked in that world. You didn't bother them. You didn't touch them. You didn't walk past that part of the room because they might suck you into the boring world that they lived in. You know, no, nobody wanted to be in the most unsexiest <laughs> part of the part of the business where they 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 painstakingly and with a focused approach did what they did. 
And it was this focus-driven, methodical business model where they went through their tariffs and they looked at their regulations and they moved their documents to customs and, and everything had to be done just so. And, you know, the world's still the same way, but it's this partnership mentality where we were working with customs because their mission had changed so much where yes, they're dealing with the war on drugs and yes, they're trying to keep importers as compliant as possible. But at the same time, what they're also trying to do is deal with the war on terror and they're trying to deal with cargo safety and security. And they're trying to take this massive computer system called ACE and make it work for everybody. And they're trying to do all of this, not under treasury, but under this absolutely massive government agency called the Department of Homeland Security. I think of all of the parts of the business that I'm engaged in, the one that's changed the most is customs itself. Their, their whole world has been shaken like an Etch-a-Sketch since 9-11 and everything they know has been turned upside down. You know, if you're looking for somebody in this business to, to sit here and, and rail against customs, although I, you know, I, I might from time to time want to hit him in the face with a, with a banana cream pie in, in my, in my soul and in my heart, I'm, I'm the, I'm the biggest fan because I understand how difficult what they do is. So I think the biggest the biggest change between then and now is probably going to be just the fact that they've, they've worked so hard to partner with us. That's changing now, of course. Uh, I, I get this feeling there's sort of a backlash, the pendulum swinging in the opposite direction. But just this attitude that they are, that they're trying to work with us, that's probably the biggest difference. Yeah. Now, let's go back to the technology part of it that you mentioned earlier. Um, what role is technology playing now that's really kind of changing the game for everybody? Oh, it's speed. Speed, 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 speed. You know, the fact that we can do so much so quickly that we are able to accelerate everything about international trade. We can move product anywhere in the world as quickly as we can and know where it's going and when it's going. We can optimize mm-hmm. our abilities to get things places. And, and whether that's understanding landing costs, whether that's being able to manage and manipulate the, the cargo to find the best possible carrier at the best possible price. I think what, what our clients want is certainty. I think more than anything, they want to know that they've made the right decision that's gotten them the best price and the most likelihood that it's going to get where they wanted it when they wanted it there at a price that they're not going to be embarrassed about if they were called in the carpet. So they want that certainty. The technology is giving it to them. They also want to know that if something's going to happen to that cargo between then and now, that they're going to be informed of it. We live in a 24-hour news cycle. If there's a hurricane happening, if there's some sort of a tornado, if there are going to be changes to the supply chain that are caused by uh, an aircraft being down, there's nothing in this technological world we live in that should stop us from being able to know that. So our clients should expect that technology will allow them to know that. Invisibility software is at a point right now where we can tell that to them. We can be predictive. This, unfortunately, is a business of reactions. We are constantly putting out fires. It seems that if you work in the world of transportation or forwarding, all we do is deal with things that are happening rather than try to manage things before they do. We're at a point now with technology where we're able to do that. We're able to to manage shipments for clients in such a way that we are dealing with things before they affect our clients' transportation issues. And I think that that's a huge leap forward, and we're just starting to see the effects of that now. Now, on the flip side of that, our audience at Inbound Logistics Magazine is always kind of looking ahead to the disruptions that might be coming down the line. Part of that stuff is 
is in that technology field, things like AI and predictive analytics and automation. Do you see a world where the transportation functions are fully and completely automated? I mean, we've seen, you know, autonomous trucks on the road, at least in prototype form. So are we headed that way? Well, okay. So um, there's a yes and no answer to that, right? I'm an economist, so I'm known for giving, for never giving a straight answer on a lot of things. And this is going to be one of those times, unfortunately, but there, there's, there's always going to be a place for technology to disrupt the world. Mm-hmm. What, what I have a hard time with, and I've got a really hard time with it. So if you were looking for the point in the podcast where I said something controversial, this is going to be it. I, I speak at a lot of conferences. So, so far this year, 2017, I've had 72 speaking engagements which is absurd, but, um, and in every one of these speaking engagements, there's always some, someone very young and very fit in a tight t-shirt with $800 glasses. I don't even know if the prescription, but they've got like, you know, really expensive designer frames and they're very well funded by, by some venture capitalist firm who is telling me that they're going to fully automate the forwarding process. And there's that I'm a dinosaur. But there's no reason that we need freight forwarders and that they can automate the brokerage process and that that the the idea that a customs house broker is necessary in this world is becoming more and more ridiculous. That they're going to be able to find a way to take the things that we do and manage them electronically. And I I have to take a moment and I have to do the breathing exercises that I've learned through many years of raising teenagers and divorce to, to breathe myself down and just look at them and think to myself, that is so adorable that you can think that (laughs) because you clearly have never seen the true chaos that can happen when things go just beautifully wrong in this industry as they do on a daily basis. As I said in the beginning of this podcast, right? This is a business of managing chaos. This is a business of managing natural disasters happening with mechanical disasters, happening with political disasters all at the same time. So this idea that there's going to become a time when, when knowledge and good customer service and the ability that to have a local relationship overcome a problem that is absolutely absurd. And the more and more I hear about it in the marketplace, I get it. People are trying to push their idea in order to gain some sort of market cap so they can sell it and live on I don't care island and you know drink margaritas with a new girlfriend. That sounds fantastic. We all want that. But my clients deserve better than a promise. You know, they deserve actual results. And you're not going to get the intended results by making a bunch of bots. You're going to always have to have someone managing that software to get the intended results. So I have very strong feelings about that. There's going to come a point in every solution where a learned person with great relationships who takes this stuff seriously and personally is going to have to get involved, and your readers and your listeners are going to have to find that person that they trust and stick to them. I mean, that's encouraging to people who still believe in, in the old way that things are done. It, is is there really an old way versus a new way? How do you how do you strike that balance? There's always there's always going to be innovation. There's always going to be moving toward coming up with the new challenges that are involved in this industry. There's always going to be moving towards dealing with those challenges. But the human component of it is going to have to be there to deal with the chaos. And I 
I remember being on a ship that had 50, 60 people on it, going to a ship that had 25. Technology helped to deal with it. But, you know, until there's such a time that a robot can deal with a fire in a vessel, it deal with it spread until there's going to be such a time as, as um, you know, we're, we're all comfortable as human beings with drones flying air cargo around the world. There's a, an emotional human issue and element that comes along with that. I think that maybe not my generation, but the one after it, maybe we, maybe we, uh, maybe we eventually just age out of the problem. But innovation in and of itself isn't enough. Right. There's, there's a, there's going to have to be the human part of it to deal with innovation when innovation fails because it does. It always does. This is a crazy business. It's absolutely nuts. And technology is only part of it. Technology helps the problem. It doesn't solve it. Right. Now, with all the chaos that does kind of run rampant in the industry, uh, what are the largest challenges to importers today? Yeah, believe it or not, it's regulation. It's not It's not going to be the technology. Um, it's going to be the, the constant increase of regulation. It's going to be the fact that America is about to enter into a new innovation economy and we're moving from, you know, first it was an agriculture economy, then we went into a manufacturing economy. We're now in a service economy, and we're, we're about to phase into this innovation economy. And with that, we're going to have harder, fast enforcement on deeper, harder regulations, where there's going to be an expectation on us as importers and exporters to understand the law, to make sure that when we're exporting things that we need to protect as a nation, that we don't send them out of the country, uh, get them in the hands of someone who would use that innovation against us. As importers, we understand the things that we're trying to protect, whether it's the environment, whether it's our economy. Um, I think you're going to find smarter, better enforcement from the government, this new attitude that customs has, where they're going to be looking for repeat offenders that aren't necessarily in the top 5,000. They're going to be looking for folks who, who are regardless of how many times that they have been told again and again, we are watching you. We expect you to take this personally. We expect you to take it seriously. When they find that you're not, they're going to come knocking. You know, there's like, like the Spidey movie say, with great power comes great responsibility. If you choose to, to fling that back in customs face, they're, they're going to make you pay for it. So it's, it's beholden to people to, to keep in mind that these regulations are only going to become more voluminous you're only going to become responsible for it. Have advisors you can trust. Have internal advisors you can trust and empower them to do the right thing. All right, so speaking of advice, let's say you get that young professional before he can afford the $800 sunglasses. What is the advice that you give uh, him or her regarding career development? Oh, man. Consider a different uh, profession. No, <laughs> I, um, there's, a, there's a couple of things that I would do. The first thing I would do is, is never lose touch with the physical side of what we do. Never become disassociated with the fact that we are still putting people's boxes on a plane ride, on a, on a, on a ship ride. Never lose contact with your clients. It becomes so easy now through our technology to forget the human element and to forget that, that we're actually providing transportation services for clients. Work on your communication skills. Spend time with the people that are paying your bills and get to know them. A lot of people, when you ask them these questions, they're going to tell you to get a broker's license, which is very important. They're going to tell you to spend time with, 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 uh, with trade groups like ICPA, which is fantastic, by the way, with NCPFFA, again, fantastic. And the list goes on and on. 
And those are important and networking is important for many of the same reasons, but don't forget about your clients. Don't forget to sit down with them and listen to them. You know, the, the most important lessons that I've learned in life are that if you just sit down and really with a judo like focus, shut your mouth and listen to people, they're going to tell you what they want you to do for them. You don't have to guess. You don't have to tell them what you want to do for them. You have to listen and they'll tell you. And if you give them what they've asked for, they're going to remember that and they're going to keep coming back to you again and again. And that's how you build a great professional life by giving people what they ask for and not failing them and giving it to them at a price that they think is reasonable and then always managing to bring other people to them that they, that they respect for doing that. If you can listen to them with a judo like intensity, if you can sit there and listen and then give them what they've asked for, you're going to have an incredible career. And the other thing that I would say to them as far as professional advice goes is pay attention to the world around them. Watch the news. Read. Read everything you can get your hands on that has to do with the world around you and begin to see the trends in business. Stop thinking about the, the businesses and commerce that happened last year or two years ago and start to look at the industries that are rising and get to understand them and their needs. Don't be afraid to knock on the door of a company that's brand new that has two or three employees. Some of the biggest clients I have now didn't import more than a container or two 10, 15 years ago. But again, I can't stress enough. Just listen to people. There's nothing more powerful than that. Yeah. Solid advice. Let's go back to the regulation that you were talking about earlier. What do you see about legislative or regulatory issues coming down that might impact the market? Well, some of the bigger ones, of course, um, are going to really revolve around free trade and uh, trade agreements. I live and work in D.C. I'm constantly around people who are either very excited about the fact that America has walked away from TTIP and TPP or they're very upset about them. Um, or if they work in the industry like I do, you know, you, you just stop caring after a while because you're, you look at it professionally. But one thing that we all see is that America appears for the moment at least to be pursuing more bilateral free trade agreements. So the United States, United Kingdom free trade agreement uh, appears to have some real legs. And depending on how long Mr. Trump is going to be um, in the presidency, you know, we could find ourselves in a, in a bilateral free trade agreement with one nation in the European Union if, in fact, Brexit happens. Um, the, the political shakeups that go along with that I think are fascinating. Um, recently, I heard from a colleague that if the United Kingdom does, in fact, leave the European Union, there could be as many as 700 million more transactions, customs transactions. I, I would love to see the backup on that. But if that's true, that's, how, that's outrageous. Um, so how those regulations will span out will fascinate me. Other ones that fascinate me have a lot to do with the tightening of export restrictions on innovation products in America. I think that you're going to see lessening in a lot of things where America is beginning to understand that our export economy of innovation is going to be incredibly important to keep Americans working, but on things that we deem to be very, very important to the growth of our economy, you're, you're going to see the tightening of them. Um, you're going to see that there are going to be certain areas of our innovation economy that we're going to take very seriously with regards to, to that. And also on that regulatory side, I think that um, the movement of customs to try to consolidate themselves to try to have more and more consolidation of what they do while at the same time trying to get customs house brokers to consolidate themselves 
I think you're going to see while while they do that, it's going to allow them to focus more and more of their attention eventually on the importer themselves to expect them to also take a more focused view on, on how they um, they overcompensate on their own uh, regulatory compliance. You know, it's it's 2018 here in a couple of months. I think we forget about that. And it's been a long time since the Modernization Act passed. And people should have it pretty much down pat at this point. So regulatory issues on the horizon, you know, aside from free trade and such, I think it's more about how we enforce them and, and more about how customs is going to keep high expectations on people to do the right thing. If there's ways that you can um, enter into programs like the importer self-assessment in the hopes that one day you might be able to enjoy something like trusted trader as well, I think you should probably get in line and do it if you think you've got yourself in a position to do so. I think you should treat customs as a partner in as much as they'll allow you to. And you should also try to find ways to include as much as your company as possible in sort of that partnership with customs. And, and really, that's been my advice for a long, long time. It's been a lot of our advice. It's not like I'm coming up with that on my own. I think everybody's been trying to find ways to partner with them, and uh, you should continue to do so. So where can our audience go to learn more about Crane Worldwide? Well, um, if they have the opportunity to hit www.trycraneww.com, there's a lot of W's in there. They can <laughs> learn more about us there, and they can always reach me at pete.mento at craneww.com. Um, love to hear more about them. They can also find me on LinkedIn. I post a lot of content on there about issues of international trade, um, a lot of issues on um, counterterror finance and the economy as well. Excellent. That's great. And hopefully you're not getting uh, heckled as much as you were during your comedy days. Yeah, no one's thrown a beer bottle at me in a long, long time. <laughs> Pete Mento, thank you so much for spending some time with us today. It's been my pleasure. Thank you for having me. Inbound Logistics Magazine is the information leader in supply chain and logistics management. Start your free print and digital subscription today by visiting bit.ly slash getil. That's bit.ly slash get underscore il and stay ahead of the 3PL game. The Inbound Logistics Podcast is a production of Inbound Logistics Magazine. For the most in-depth information around logistics, transportation, and supply chain practices, get your free print and digital subscription at inboundlogistics.com slash subscribe. Connect with us via LinkedIn, Twitter, Facebook, and YouTube for the most current developments in the industry. If you'd like to leave us some feedback or have a topic you'd like to see covered in a future episode, call our dialogue line at 888-878-3247 or leave us an email at podcast at inboundlogistics.com. I'm your host, Jeff Vita. Thanks for listening, and we'll catch you next time here on the Inbound Logistics Podcast.